Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. My name is Freeze. Learn it well. Voice the chilling sound of your doom. This is the way the world could end. Please, show some mercy. With ice. With a kiss. With venom. I probably should have mentioned this. I'm poison. Poison ivy. And the only man who can stop them. I freeze. I'm Batman. Can't do it alone. Hello, my name is Joel Schumacher, director of the 1997 film Batman and Robin. I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Avika Goldsman. How you doing? How how is everyone? How are you, Guy? My name's Joel. Yeah, I know. I call everyone Guy. Ah, sorry. I forget that. I forget uh, your colloquialisms. Yeah. I'm good, thank you. It's been a long time since I've um, revisited this time in our lives, so I'm very interested to see how it holds up. How are you going, Avika? Uh, Akiva? very, Very good. Very, very good. It's great to be back in a little boothy studio with you. Hot little uh, little voice box here. The fans demanded it. Uh, we're coming up to the 20-year anniversary of this film. That's uh, right. And so we're putting out a special uh, Bluetooth blue <laughs> Bluetooth release of the That's movie right. that you can download Only available on, your, on your phone. Via Bluetooth. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it is, it's certainly going to be an interesting time dredging up a lot of, a lot of good memories, but also... A lot of bad memories for mine, Akiva. Uh, obviously, we started working together on this in 94, 95, when you brought me the script and said you got an idea for a, another Batman sequel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what was it, as you can see um, in the intro here, because this was written with very specific screen directions from yours truly, I want butts, I want groins, I want leather, I want too many of these uh, close-up shots on bits of equipment being put on to the point of kind of absurdity and humour. Because, uh, you know, yeah, I get I, what's funny. That's I, yeah, what people yeah. have always said about my writing. I get it. You you, you do get what's funny. I, I found you, and you sort of stuck with it through a lot of the script. The explicit direction you gave me didn't really leave a lot of room for my own creative license. Um, I mean, I felt like I had you on set every for the good reason that you were also on set every day. 
I, I wouldn't say that. You certainly put your mark on this film. Let's not uh, put this all in Boat Akiva, the SS Akiva Goldsman. Uh, no, yeah, certainly we were we were co-captains. All I'm saying is I find your script writing style, uh, you know, both quite lively and exciting, but very controlling. Well, that's fine. Look, the visual style that you've decided to choose here 20 years ago, uh, Joel. Do you think it's aged? Do you, you think that. it's aged well? I do. Thank um, you. Yeah, I do. I think there's a lot of obviously LEDs really got a lot of play in this, and dry ice well, did as well. We did think that LEDs and dry ice were the future. Yeah, uh, and I think until details of our production leaked out, that they were looking quite promising. I certainly bought a lot of stock in both LEDs and uh, dry ice. Of course, there was a huge accident on the last day of filming, which sent stocks plummeting and that was certainly regrettable but um i'm glad you think it's aged well because you don't see a lot of dry ice in leds not anymore not enough not like least. not like we had him uh not to blow my own trumpet too much but uh the opening line which we we just had moments ago from robin uh i want a car yeah i thought that'd be a nice touch the, the first bit of dialogue that you get from one of the characters is a bit of frivolous fun, you know? Set this script off on a, a good, humorous note. It's a line for the everyman, yeah. isn't it? Everyone can you know, everyone can uh, relate, identify with wanting a car. Completely. And so if you imbue Robin with that, then you, you sort of... Relatability, He's, Joel. This is what I told you. And this was our central mission uh, in making this film, was putting two great minds together. Akiva Goldsmith, yours truly. And myself, Joel Schumacher. Putting those two brains together to create a vision which everyone could relate to. And uh, it was grounded just in reality from uh, opening to closing credits. We wanted to create a grittier Batman. Uh, Kind of a hyper-real reboot in the wake of uh, the sort of... Adam Adam West, that series had certainly put its mark on the franchise... Uh, the animated series was out around this time. People had a little bit of a taste of a slightly darker feel, and we thought, you know what would be great? We'll do a, a real gritty but, version or, of it. And, and real being you know, one of the operative words there. We wanted it to feel as realistic as possible, so we did a lot of research into ice beams, uh, yeah. the science behind them, and also you spent a lot of time with supervillains in different hospitals. Yes, I did. And uh, sort of penitentiaries and sort of... You know, learn the mannerisms, the ticks, the way they speak. Learning from them and teaching them as well. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's just graced the screen with his opening line there, the Iceman cometh. Um, I can't remember what that was in reference to in particular, but I do remember it being a very clever line. Uh, yeah. I think it might have been biblical from memory. You, you, you really threw a lot of your best stuff and your worst stuff at Arnold in this film, I thought. You, you gave him the full range of options. Well, th- in this one, what I particularly like, I was... Uh, reading a brief history of the universe at the time and uh, just sort of learning about the physics of the universe. That's why I sort of threw that knowledge off at Arnie, the one constant in the universe that every, everything gets cold. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's, I mean, it's, that's science is what that is. Your research shines through. Shines like a diamond, you could say. Diamonds, a huge theme in this film. Uh, Mr. Freeze, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, is powered by diamonds. And what that was was a real message to Wall Street that I was trying to send through the script um, of having a villain that was, was basically powered by pure money. Yeah. And he just did nothing but evil, you know? And he was a corrupted entity that originally just wanted to save his wife. I'm getting ahead of the script. You I'm are. Sorry. Let's, let's rediscover it together. Obviously, now this scene was an absolute 
nightmare to shoot. Uh, we got Just my, describe what we're seeing on screen here as uh, well. well. In your so own words, Joel. Pretty much what we wanted to choreograph was um, a lot of henchmen on ice skates. Uh, you had just been to the ice capades? Yeah, I had just been to the ice capades with my wife and kid. Uh, and also, I'd been spending a lot of time with my high school drama teacher who uh, was telling me about sort of different physical dance pieces that uh, he'd put on since I'd left the school. And so I got him on as a choreographer. And that's why a lot of this, you know, you, you could call it high school theatrics. But... um. George, it does have that feel to it, doesn't yeah. it? The set designers did a great job of recreating that feel of seeing a high school production of something that they... Uh, maybe their ambitions got a little bit larger than the parameters they were dealing with. Yeah. The restrictions that they were under. Their eyes got a little bigger than their stomachs. And that really is coming across in this... Uh, I've got to say, extended action scene. I wrote the words action scene in this. Uh, which well, you, I've I found a little bit of wriggle room in there, and I sure really uh, I took it and I ran with it. Now we had a huge amount of trouble with this scene because we made the bat suit out of cast iron, which means it weighed roughly six hundred and fifty kilograms, right? Um, or I suppose around nine hundred pounds, what maybe more. What was the more. decision around that? It doesn't seem like a smart thing to do. Uh, no, we thought it would be a laugh. We know that Clooney, uh, George, obviously playing the role of Batman, is a bit of a prankster. He likes to joke around on Danny set. Ocean, as I call yeah. him. Yeah, and we, yeah, you were calling him that on set. I didn't really understand it, but um, there was a lot in the works at the time. Yeah, so we thought it would be a very funny prank. If on the first day he comes into work, he puts on the bat suit and he, he can't physically move. Mm. Um. I suppose there was a lack of foresight on our end and that we spent the entire costume budget on this this prank, and I'm using inverted commas here, so we were sort of anchored to it. Quite literally, we couldn't get George out for the duration of production. Right. Um, so that's, did you say titanium that is? is no, it? no, no, that's, steel. that's cast steel. Steel. What killed the dinosaurs, the Ice Age. One now, of my favourite lines that I've I, Yeah, I, I uh, didn't really want that to go in the film because mm. it, it was an asteroid uh, I understand that killed the dinosaurs, but you insisted it was the the Ice Age and said, "Who's done the research here?" Was it the Ice Age? Was it the asteroid? Uh, were dinosaurs ever really real? Is the Earth six thousand years old? These are all questions that historians continue to debate to this day. So you know, but it's you, just you like offered, anything. This is one man's interpretation. You proffered to offer a definitive answer to the question: What killed the dinosaurs? I, I was putting forward my thesis on it, and my thesis is: It's the ice there's, age. There's no explanation. It's just it's just a line. There you go. That's all you need to know. And Arnie did a great job on these skates. I remember being on set that day, um, watching you work. My my stuff was done. Uh, we'd done a couple of rewrites because George wasn't happy with a couple of the lines, which we'll get to later. But mainly, I was just there to see this. Um, Real dog and pony show on ice, uh, to mix a few metaphors. And I'll tell you what, it seemed dangerous, it seemed reckless. Well, And it was very, very hot in there, which is strange when you're dealing with that amount of ice. It's it's ironic, isn't it? I don't really understand how you were doing it. Well, we we made that choice, uh, but it's not real ice is the first thing I've got to tell you. We just right. put a lot of KY jelly on the floor. Right. They were slip sliding all over the place. A lot of people lost a lot of good toes out there. Yeah. Real ice skates. Because there's blades. There's a lot real of blades Real KY here. jelly. Right. Uh, it was, yeah, as I said, far from ideal, but everyone, they bought their A game. It's amazing these little uh, tricks of the cinema that you learn if you hang around in the craft long enough. Yeah. And... Uh, I, I didn't get to direct again for for a long time after this film, but I, I certainly I left no stone unturned in terms of what you can do with the production. You lay it all out there. There was nothing 
left out in the field uh, in terms of you directing this film. You directed this film. I did. The KY Jelly and the Blades, not to take all the credit, was also uh, inspired by my drama teacher who was on set that day and for the entirety of this scene that you're watching play out on screen right now. So this, funnily enough, wasn't shot in a real rocket. Okay, so for for those of you who are visually impaired because we are uh, partially doing the audio track for you on Bluetooth, is we've got a rocket being driven by Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze, who uh, is engaged in the same action sequence that we opened the movie on uh, with Batman. We've we've been living in it for a while now. Feels like forever. And he's taking our Cape Crusader careening up through the stratospheres into outer space, where, of course, his heart will freeze and stop beating. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Freeze, of course, or Schwarzenegger, depending uh, if he was in character or not, He'll be fine uh, high in space because he's got a suit. His, his temperature's regulated to stay cool That's right, the whole time. Suit. He's powered by diamonds, you see, uh, which once again was a clever analogy for me. For, he was Wall Street yeah, once again. He's the big banks. I feel like maybe because uh, they say don't read your own reviews, but we did. We read all of them. We read all of them. They were scathing. And watching it back now and trying to make a realistic, family-friendly, yet gritty gotham uh and also trying to communicate to wall street that we see you and we don't respect or like what you're doing Mm. you can see how people might have thought the message was a little muddied a little muddled well i won't apologize for being ambitious i won't apologize for trying to execute a few messages and audiences in my script and neither will i Chris Don Chris O'Donnell, uh, I keep calling chris donald on set which i I shouldn't have been talking to you should have been on the set yeah but Really takes him off if you miss the O in there. Uh, I kept asking him what he was from because well, I hadn't seen him in anything. It uh, wasn't just the, the O you'd miss. And that's very unprofessional because he mm. did star in Batman Forever before this. But um, his last name's O'Donnell yeah. and you would call him Donald. Yeah. So it wasn't just missing the O. It was, I mean, it was like... And also were, his first name. Yeah, actively. I just say, hey, Donnie. Yeah. Don. What's happening? Yeah, he didn't take kindly to it me. It created that's for sure. quite a hostile environment for the first few days until he sort of learnt to tolerate your taunts. I mean, between George being sort of immobile, yeah, uh, in the suit, and Donnie, and as D- I called him, yeah, not being too happy uh, with me, which kind of set a bad tone over the whole production a little bit. It did. And now, this, but I really, I feel like I may be to blame for some of the bad press we got on this sequence. Uh, we've got Batman and Robin surfing on surfboards uh, just through the sky once they've managed to escape off of the rocket ship. Cowabunga, of course, in reference we've to gotten, my favourite franchise. Yeah, we got a lot of legal trouble about that line. <laughs> I got Robin to say it out loud. There was a dispute whether or not uh, Cowabunga could be copywritten. And as it turns out, if anyone's wondering, it's not a registered trademark, nor will it ever be. Yeah, it's impossible to trademark the We did have to edit out an entire scene which we just spliced in from a Teenage uh, Mutant Ninja Turtles episode. That is available in the director's cut, of course. Which is also available on Bluetooth, um, if you can track it down. But yeah, speaking to uh, Donny, as you would call him, mm. uh, I thought that the way he took the bait and responded was really juvenile uh, and really petty, and I was very disappointed in him. And that certainly soured uh, the first few days I spent on set with him. So, you know, I resent you for it, but also I think I learned a little something about him, uh, that he's got some growing up to do. So I, on the other hand, I do appreciate it. And with time, I've learned to... Well, Joel, you know me. You. I, I have ambitions uh, beyond that initial station of uh, screenwriter. I've gone on to produce several films. I won't bore you with all the credits. Please, don't. 
I won't, but they're very good films. Now, we didn't use any special effects on that. We yeah, got, we froze Donnie that day. Yeah. I say we. we uh, well, more, no. more you than I. More you well, than it was, I. It was more the crew than, than me as well. But yeah, we, we literally froze You went him. on set this day, were you, Joel? No. I um I had a sore toe. Yeah. And so I took the morning off and then, you know, before you know it, eleven thirty AM becomes eleven thirty PM and you're two bottles of whiskey deep. Um but you know, I, I think the, the, the team did a really good job and I, I wasn't I they made a real point of telling me the next morning I wasn't missed, which I thought was great. It was good that everyone could bandy together and really um Well, I think what brought them together was the fact that uh they froze Chris O'Donnell, who at the time was a pretty big star. Once yeah. again, I wasn't sure myself what he what That's else? right. He was. Fr- Did you say he was in General Hospital or something? Uh he he went on to be in Grey's Anatomy. Oh yeah. Um, and he actually entirely out of spite, as I remember, he didn't deliver any of the lines that were written in the script on that show, and said he he would keep looking down the camera and addressing death threats at you, uh, mm. Akiva Goldsman. I'm surprised you didn't see that. It was all over the news. I don't read the news. Do you know who reads the news? Suckers. Anyway, I, I read the reviews. So after news. really uh, freezing Donnie, we had to really unfreeze him, uh, and, and we caught that. We told him this was for a behind-the-scenes part of the movie, but eventually just put it in the actual film. Now at this point, I remember you saying to me, "We haven't got enough shit going on yet. We need more shit going more on." More balls in the air, please. We've only introduced a few characters so far. We're in about minute, I'd say, sort of twelve or so. Hard to hard to tell when you're in this voice booth, but uh, this is Uma Thurman's debut on screen for the flick, a character that was very close to my heart, Poison Ivy, uh, Patricia. Yeah, and, and and you said debut in this film, but this was actually, as I recall, Uma's first film. Uh, we had an open casting for the role of Poison Ivy. And, and an open casket. Yeah. So you had to lie in a coffin and just have... Joel Schumer and the casting director inspect your uh, lifeless body. That's right. You had to, you had to lie uh, prostrate. Um, and Uma really brought it that day. And uh, so we cast her. Ironically, her role is quite mobile. involves a lot of moving around, a lot of lines. And lucky for us, um, she brought it. She brought it every day. But so she's a sort of, uh, much like uh, Mr. Freeze, who who had a good intention and becomes corrupted by it. Um, Uma's character of Poison Ivy or Professor... I can't even remember. What was the character name? Patricia. Patricia. Um, Patricia whatever. Her heart's in the right place. She is an environmentalist who wants to protect planet Earth. Mm. Um, but we didn't want another positive character in the film. We wanted more... Or you wanted, sorry. Too many. Say. I mean, we had Alicia Silverstone in the mix is coming mm. up later. We had Chris O'Donnell. We've got George Clooney. Uh, we've got the gentleman who was playing Alfred. Too many goodies for mine. I'd already packed the script full of goodies. We need a few more pure baddies. And, and uh, interestingly, I mean, Chris Nolan gets a lot of um, credit Chris for introducing Bane Nolan. to the cinematic Batman universe. I put him in this script. I put him in the Batman cinematic universe. Bane's in this one. Yeah. Poison Ivy's pet. Uh, people tend to forget that he was in this film. People tend to forget this film was made, in actual fact. But it was. And I can't stress that enough. This film was made. For two arduous years through pre, pro, and post-production, um, the film was certainly made. And yeah, and I'll tell you what, while we're on the topic, Chris fucking Nolan, if you're listening, what you did is sick. You tarnished a franchise. 
Those aren't movies. Those are not movies. They're poems. The cinema is no place for poetry. Why don't you sit down and watch YouTube for a few hours, you fucking nerd? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, Bane, uh, for those of you following this along for the auditory clues for the visually impaired, Bane has just been imbued with the power of uh, poison, which apparently if you combine it with a lot of steroids, uh, and makes toxins. you strong. I say apparently. This is in the constructed universe that uh, Bob Kane, the original conceiver of these characters, uh, dreamed right. up. The late, great Bob Kane. Funnily enough, uh, he actually passed away in 98 less than a year after this film was released so this was the um the last piece of the batman output that he uh well not that's now saying. that's not necessarily true it was the most recent uh part of the batman catalog that he saw but after seeing it to cleanse his palate uh he wrote a letter to me he he actually watched every single other batman related piece of content and read all of the books right uh so as to try and wipe his memory clean of this which i thought was i mean you, you don't want a positive or a negative reaction. You just want a reaction. And uh, I took that as a huge, huge compliment. That's so true. It's 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 what they say, isn't it? You know, any reaction is a good reaction. That's right. Uh, so Patricia Isley at this part in the film, uh, the professor who becomes Poison Ivy, has just seen... I can't remember the name of this character, but he is... I haven't cr- even named him, but I called him Skunk whenever I referred to him well, in the script. That's a good I'm not name. sure if it's said aloud. So Skunk due to his hair. has created Bane as the ultimate military soldier, and he has the plans to auction him off to the Ununited Nations, which was a very fun piece of wordplay you used. Thank I thought that very was very much. funny. I laughed about that for a week when I first read the script. Are those of you who, who aren't uh, watching the film currently and, and hearing it along with us, you might miss some of the sensational exposition which i think i've just peppered very gingerly throughout the film just to keep you up yeah. to speed with what's going on never too much though never too well, much exposition in this film. That, i pride myself on that and i came over to your house for dinner the first night i read the script and you, you peppered ginger through that meal as well and and i said to you then and i said to you now ginger is a very strong flavor um both in terms of the meals you cook and also the film i i, I thought it was a little heavy-handed a lot of the like I would argue 50% or more of the dialogue is pure exposition. Uh, Absolutely, a light touch. Keep it under 50, keep it under half. So what we've got is uh, our mad scientist, Skunk, who has actually been working alongside Dr. Patricia, who's a uh, a botanist of sorts. And she has uh, a real soft spot for for the environment and for Mother Nature. And she wants to give the plants a fighting chance. So she's been experimenting with how to crossbreed them and genetically and mutate them to he's been give them defenses. Stealing her research. He's been stealing her research. They were working together on site. He's been taking it and weaponizing it, putting it into a super soldier who becomes Bane to sell off to the, the Ununited Nations. So it's a very straightforward, grounded in reality. It's like we yeah. keep saying, this is a movie for the common man. And after that discovery, of course, uh, they have a fight. He pours a shelf full of poison and venom on top of her she collapses through the floor and re-emerges imbued with superpowers as poison ivy yeah which we will see in real life every day it was a good film it's probably one of my best and, and what i like is you you sort of it was like at one point you remembered you need to provide origin stories because right after that you just you've got bam bane bam poison ivy and you also explain how dr freeze came to be how he is that do you know what only the eagle-eyed who went on to make this movie vis-a-vis one man joel schumer 
Schumacher. You can call well, me what you this. want. I like to shorten names. You know this about me. He did pick that up because what had happened is I'd written the majority uh, of the script on a cocaine binge. I won't lie to you. Statute of limitations has expired now. Free to talk about it. And then, quite rightly, I had sobered up eventually, you know, because there's basically two ways that you can stop a cocaine binge. You can die or you can sober up. I came to and I'd reread the script that I'd come up with and I thought, holy heck, these people aren't going to understand uh, where these characters are from. So I better give everyone's uh, backstory now. So I just went and wrote them all kind of at the same time. Uh, I was intending, uh, intending to tenderize those stories and pepper them around. I see. Is it clear that I've been doing a lot of cooking in kind of recent years? I don't know if that's sort of coming through in the language I'm adopting, but... Uh, it's become my new passion. I, I read probably one too many reviews, and I've decided to become a master chef now. Oh, wow. Mm. I, I did not know that. You've retired from screenwriting outright? I dabble. I uh, still dabble a little bit, but, you know, just smaller independent projects. It is hard to put the tools down. You heard of now, Ratatouille? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I helped write that. That's wonderful. How do you help? You know, just sort of a guiding guiding hand there at uh, Pixar that's incredible mm. I had no idea now I certainly the way I read it on the page and the way I directed it in the film as you can see here in front of you we have a scene between Alfred and Bruce Wayne uh, was there's a lot of sexual tension between these two a lot of chemistry now between those two actors I didn't ask you which I, I regret to this day I just had such a strong feeling I didn't feel I needed to the sexual chemistry I put in this film Palpable. Is that how you wrote it? Absolutely. Absolutely my intention. For too long, this relationship between two powerful men, one, the brave, lifelong servant of Bruce Wayne and the Wayne family, and the other, the Cape Crusader, the world's greatest detective, Batman. It was a love story for the ages. And I had become so frustrated that this was never explored in earnest during any of the previous properties. So I just just tenderly tenderized some ginger that was the love story and just lightly peppered it around in this film. Put it in there, a light touch, a few moments, a look here and there, a lingering gaze. Let me tell you, that was one flavor I was only too happy to taste. Uh, It was a real pleasure to direct them. Both George, of course, still immobile at this point, and Alfred, uh... They were they they were having a lot of fun with it, and, and that meant so was I, which made for a pleasant change from the hostility of all the scenes involving Donnie, who was a real juvenile little shit for a lot of the film. A little asshole, really, wasn't he? Yeah, it was a real piece of work. So now we've got the entry of the the newly uh, invigorated, powerful Poison Ivy. This is her sexual awakening, which I've hidden in a metaphor, which is her emergence as a, a villain. It's it's fantastic. But make no mistake, this and again, is the story of a virgin deflowering, get it, plants. Very good. And then becoming powerful with her sexuality, throwing it around, and kissing the boys and killing them. Also, some, some more very efficient and uh, outstanding exposition that you've sort of just gingerly peppered throughout uh, the dialogue. So uh, at this point, Poison Ivy explicitly explains exactly how the loose collection of chemicals and vials of venom have been absorbed into her body 
through a body that we do not see uh, and imbued her with these superpowers. Well, Joel, it's important that everyone knows what's going on. This is how you do it. You keep telling them out loud. There's a saying which you might recognize from old Hollywood, particularly popular with screenwriters. Tell them, don't show them. That is the secret to good storytelling. And it really Uh, is one of the principles that I had written up on the wall that I kept looking to when I was working on the script. (laughs) My specialty has always been directing, but... um so you can stop me if, I, if I'm wrong, but I've always understood that. And, and with all the writers and all the meetings and all the producers and execs I've met, uh, they seem to have misinterpreted that saying as as show, don't tell. Well, maybe we were getting told different things, you know, for different roles. It's the writer's job to tell them and it's your job to show them. It certainly goes some ways as to explaining why this movie has such a unique and distinct feel. Very gingery. Very gingery. We're back to Arnie. I remember the editors uh, were getting a bit bored of the Poison Ivy storyline because there were a bunch of misogynists who couldn't handle a woman being on screen for more than 15 seconds at a time. So we've got to go back to a symbol of masculinism. That's right. That's even and a, a word. I tend to do... I'm like Shakespeare in that way. wouldn't say that. Uh, Get a word, mix it with another word, add a few syllables. Guess what? Guess what, baby? You got a new word. This was another scene that I got the help of my high school drama, much to the disappointment of Warner Brothers and the entire studio, my uh, drama teacher, Mr. Lidstone, to help out with. He was the set designer, uh, wasn't he? He was the set designer and the choreographer again, and you can see his fingerprints all over the set. We this could is, not get them off. He was always eating wings. We're he in was, Mr. Mr. Freeze's yeah. lair right now. I hope I'm saying that right. That's right. I, I always see it written, and I always write it, but I need no. to say it out loud. You are correct. And if you look in the background, Leah. all over the walls of the set, all over all of the props, are Mr. Lidstone's greasy fingerprints. Uh, he'd been eating a lot of chicken, smacking his lips very loudly yeah. on set during these scenes. He was very distracting. He thought that the work was done, but... Uh, See, we hadn't shot the scenes yet. So look out look out for those. A little bit of bonus content. A little Easter egg for you. Yeah, I just I don't know how your DOPs missed that. That's director of photography, by the way, if you're not in show business, the business that Joel and I are in. He got his greasy mitts all over these giant diamonds, which is, is sort of... Uh, nothing's going to show up a fingerprint like a big old diamond. That's right. As they say. We later had to spend uh, the entire budget for the two planned sequels to this film uh, scrubbing out those fingerprints in post. So those are all digitally removed. But if you look carefully, uh, we left a few in just as a little treat. Arnold Schwarzenegger potentially giving the performance of a lifetime. It's really hard to tell underneath all of that makeup. We did... uh, I mean, I, I did write a lot of direction that it required layers and layers of paint. Yeah. specifically on him which I'm glad you didn't mess with because um, there were some things that you sort of railed oh. against in this Arnie didn't make play, a but... movie for th- or a public appearance for three years after this uh, the paint we used was highly toxic and um, he had to regenerate an entire like his entire body was stripped of skin so he had to re- regenerate all of those cells interesting so, so as I recall having an affair with his housekeeper at the time uh, while we were sort of sorting out the finer details of the films. Right. Um, and unfortunately for her, she also lost, you know, he was just in so much pain he couldn't get it all off. So she lost all of the skin on her fingers, which put her in the difficult situation. Sorry, why did she lose? From the sexual relations. Most of the pain we put um, on Arnie's torso. And right. so during their coitus that they were having during the production, uh 
she used her hands to rake across his torso and lost all the skin on her fingers, which sadly meant she also lost her job. It's hot. That is hot. Alicia Silverstone's entrance now as the for to become Batgirl, uh, a concept that we played with. Of course, that name was was developed by Bob Kane himself. The Godfather, the Granddaddy, the Batfather, well, as we call him. But we, we thought in this modern era of 1997... It was time to um, question that poke and prod at that title a little bit. Should it not be that woman, that person? That lady. I put that in the script much later, but it was, uh, you know, one of the many political points that I just wanted to pepper through the film. And uh, a point poorly raised, uh, but well made. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So now we have them walking through the grounds um, of Bruce Wayne. Now, we didn't actually think to build a set for this, so mm. we had to break into a botanical gardens after hours and shoot the scene at dawn, which is why all of the actors look so tired. Um, pretty much what we've got is a little bit more exposition, your specialty. Oh, yeah. Uh, revealing where exactly Alicia Silverstone came from, what's her backstory, what's she doing there. Now, she is the, the niece of Alfred, as I recall. That's correct. And I set myself a little writing task, uh, which I did several times in this film, and my challenge for the introduction of Alicia Silverstone's character was, can we establish where she's from, what's happened to her parents, what her major is, and what she's doing here within the first 60 words she says from her mouth? And and you pulled it off. I've always found it very jarring that one of the first lines she has is, my parents died five years ago in a car crash. It's important. you got to not bury you, the lead. You, well, no, you certainly didn't. You, you wore that one on your sleeve. Joel, um, again, I can't thank you enough for picking up on the romantic thread that I've left between Bruce Wayne and Alfred and just any opportunity where was, you could get an... Ex- as I said, my pleasure to direct. Now, this is a little just sexual a little red herring you put in. Romantic. Where you uh, just threw uh, a touch of ginger and a little bit of pepper uh, between Alicia Silverstone and her uncle, her elderly uncle, Alfred. Yeah. Um, and while the scenes with George and Alfred were a real joy to direct, this was uh, a very uncomfortable environment on set. Well, I mean, for one, we've got an age delta of conservatively 50 years Yeah. Uh, between the two. The younger Alicia Silverstone, I think, uh, being about 19 years of age at the time when we shot it. A lot of explaining that had to had to go to her. But do you know what I am, Joel? I'm an artist. And do you know what an artist does? An artist asks questions. Here are some questions. What's the sexual chemistry like between Batman and the servant Alfred? What is the sexual chemistry potentially like between Batgirl and her elderly uncle? Who is also Alfred. I think it's good, it's good Here's to... Here's another question I would like to ask in a forthcoming Batman movie. What is the sexual chemistry like between Alfred and Robin? Well... I did put that in the script, and I noticed that didn't make it to the cinematic uh, release of this. Anyone who bought the Blu-ray, um, the R18 version, you can check that out. It is hidden in the uh, extra features. Let's just say, what is the sexual chemistry like between Alfred and Robin? It's intense. Uh, it's intense and it's visceral. That was the the first time we experimented with 4D cinema. Uh, so that's got a little bit of smell and a little bit of touch in it. And, uh, well, uh, Warner Bros. Were, were none too happy with us for that. Artists. 
Alicia Silverstone's character now has been presenting herself up until now as a somewhat disempowered young woman, ditzy blonde, turns up at the house, but now she's sneaking out and grabbing Donnie's motorcycle mm. to go on an adventure of her very own. And uh, in a lot of ways, we were doing what Dora the Explorer did years later, or to an even more modern extent, uh, Moana. That's right. A film I've not seen, but did co-write. Yeah. You didn't get a writer's credit on that, so I, I don't know what led you to believe that you did help write it. Um, I did the work. I did the work, Joel. I, what I think I really enjoy about your style of uh, script writing and, and the way you tell a story is you go exposition, exposition, exposition. You reveal everything uh, as efficiently as possible up top and then sort of as though to uh, mislead the audience you throw a lot of convoluted plot a lot of stuff that doesn't make any sense and you really sit in it so for as efficient as you like to be at the beginning of a story or the introduction of a character you like to be equally inefficient uh, in the development of their story from there here's an artistic question what if we mix it up some what if we put our fiddle on, foot on the pedal? It's a fiddle. Once again, my Shakespearean tendencies uh, tend, tend to come out in the strangest of places. It's portmanteau is what that is. You put your fiddle down on the exposition, and then you take your foot, you, you fiddle up. You Fid- fiddle up off the exposition. Fiddle down, fiddle up. Yeah. Fiddle down, fiddle up. That's what I like to do in a movie. And or a you, film, you a spent movie. the the entire uh, paycheck you got on the on the back end of this movie on a very large LED sign. I remember um, saying exactly that: fiddle up, fiddle down. Yeah, and you were furious because you told the people at the LED factory that it was fiddle down, fiddle up. Mm. So there were a lot of confused people on set. We got you walking around uh, yelling out, "Fiddle up, fiddle down." No, fiddle down, fiddle up. We got a big sign right behind you saying exactly the opposite. I mean, even now I'm confused. It's madness. Tell her what I did like. Al McPherson. Well, what a cool lady, eh? She was lovely. It uh, was great to get to meet her. Usually, a screenwriter doesn't get to meet quite so many members of the cast. Usually, I... a screenwriter doesn't uh, sort of manage to hold off so many security guards day after day after day. But well, that's what leg day is for. Joel. Nothing if not unique, Akiva. But yeah, Al McPherson certainly, um, she brought a lot of energy. She also brought that hot pink uh, sort yeah. of pantsuit that we're dealing with from memory. Brought that herself. That was part of her contract. And once again, can't stress this enough. Generally speaking, screenwriters not involved in those talks. Yeah. But, and, and again, you really force your way into those conversations. Well, that's the Goldman guarantee. I'll be that's... part of every department. You can't spell department without part. No. And you can't spell Goldsman without me no you 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 definitely can't and so here we see um of course you will notice that the scenes where batman is batman george clooney's in the 650 kilogram cast iron bat suit and Mm. where he's bruce wayne he's not wearing the suit now half the scenes we had to shoot after the after we'd finished all of the batman scenes and the other half we shot with him in the suit and we had to digitally edit that out so this is one of the scenes where we digitally edit out the suit. And I've got to say, for 97, these special effects hold up remarkably well. That is slovenly filmmaking. So you were shooting stuff that was in Bruce Wayne in the Batman costume, which was in itself not so much a costume as it was a practical joke. Yeah. Well, George Clooney said he loved a challenge. and um, You gave him one, huh? I feel like, yeah, he was really humoring us at that point. God, you must have been working that special effects department pretty hard as well. Yeah. 
we lost uh, a lot of good workers um a lot of good workers on that one not by to death or anything they, they just walked out we weren't paying them much and, and they were working three times as hard as anyone else on the film save for george of course who who was trying to move in the cast iron bat suit you know, in saying a lot of the stuff out loud after the fact, I realized that, you know, a lot of the reports that were leaked from the production calling me uh, a dictator. Inept was the word they got yeah. thrown around a lot in the media. Uh, not entirely fair, but also maybe not as unfair as I interpreted them at the time. Well, this is what 20-year anniversary reunion Bluetooth edition of movies are for. Revisiting. Re-exploring and re-examining the decisions that we've made. And remembering. So what we just saw was uh, the opportunity for Bruce Wayne to maintain Poison Ivy slash Professor Patricia Isley as a goodie. This was a real fiddle down moment for me. We introduced a network of satellites that Wayne Enterprises was launching into the sky to assist with a telescope, which he had also gifted... To the observatory yep. in Gotham City. Which is built which itself, and sits atop yes. a tremendous statue. You remember. Held a high a la Atlas supporting the globe. Correct. We have a, a, a bursting in of Uma Thurman's character, Pamela. And she starts throwing around a lot of uh, sort of environmental babble, which was very popular at the time. We were really capturing the zeitgeist of the moment. Society was talking about global warming. They were, they were talking about greenhouse gases. I wanted to seize on that opportunity for this film. And I, I'm just so glad that, uh, you know, now in the year 2017, we've solved solved all of those problems and it's not an issue wow, anymore. And, and you deserve all the credit you get for that. Now, yes, I do. Now, one of the main complaints we've had about the movie is about this exact scene where Mr. Freeze is reviewing footage of him and his wife, presumably on their wedding day. He watches it across five monitors frozen into... Uh, a rock face mm. and we got but this is before the internet mind you so the people who saw this must have been really upset we got a lot of letters saying if you freeze a tv it stops working and it's interesting to see where the buttons on people are what agitates them more than others uh the other scene we got a lot of complaints about was of course when batman is rewiring the satellites yeah, on it on a keyboard, the keyboard and we right. were ridiculed mercilessly for that surprisingly keyboard well, look, we'll get to that in a moment, but that was a little creative flourish that I wanted to express. Not unlike this moment we're seeing play out on screen now, uh, what I introduced when my fiddle was down on the storytelling aspects and the scene just earlier, an invitation was extended by Bruce Wayne, Gotham's Dark Knight, to Uma Thurman's character of Poison Ivy while she was in her human facade. And it was to this fundraiser uh, from memory. The Rainforest fundraiser. That's right. the Rainforest. That, that Batman and Robin uh, attended because they, not a lot of people know that. Batman and Robin, a lot of very public-facing charity work, a lot of auctions well, that they were present at. This, of course, was partially a ploy to draw out uh, Mr. Freeze. That's, uh, Sorry about that. That's, apologize. Uh, that's your phone going off, isn't it? Yeah. What is, that's really like So that's your, that's your message tone, huh? Yeah, Adam you Sandler. You, you, it's yeah, Little yeah, Nicky, my, my favourite film. Okay, you're the winner. Hey, hey, hey. Good one. 
Okay, probably just turn your phone off if you don't mind, Joel. I mean, yeah. we're doing it audio taping here. I apologize. Uh, but yeah, so this also, while serving as an auction to save the rainforest, was a plot device you used to tempt Mr. Freeze into finding the uh, last remaining diamonds necessary to... Common misconception. All I wanted to do is have another lavish open framework for you to so paint some bright piece. colors... Some big costumes, well, some some big bits of jewellery, people in outlandish yeah, uh, suits I, and dresses. I was pleased for the opportunity, and I'll tell you who was especially pleased. Who's that? My old high school drama teacher, Mr. Lidstone, who right. uh, we brought back on set after the legal problems with the fingerprints mm-hmm. uh, from previous scenes, uh, and he, he directed all of this stuff. And you might say his fingerprints were all over this scene too, sort of yeah. less literal. Yeah, well... More figurative. He was very insistent that he had um, more beautiful hands than Uma Thurman. He was very critical of her hands. And so the hands you see being revealed from the gorilla costume are actually Mr. Lidstone. Yeah, and again, if you're not watching at home, uh, we did put Uma Thurman in a gorilla costume. This didn't really serve the story so much as color the tone of what we were trying to achieve here. Joel and I connected in one vision of a grounded, gritty reality-based Batman for the everyman. In fact, the project uh, name was Every Batman when we were in development. Yeah, uh, that was nixed by Warner Brothers, as were a lot of our other ideas that we created together. Uh, I'll tell you what wasn't, though, was the tremendous sexual overtones that we put all over Uma Thurman in her on-screen debut. They Uh, went down very well with the execs. You know what I've got tattooed on my butt, Joel? You gotta sell tickets. Yeah. You got to sell tickets. That's right. Tattooed right next to Fiddle Up, Fiddle Down, uh, which they also got wrong in addition to the neon sign. I can't believe you got the same people to do that. Um, that was their first time tattooing. I believe in second chances. Not third, though. You got blood poisoning from that. Yes, I did. It took me out of the Hollywood game for a good couple of years. Blood poisoning, as it turns out, a little more severe than it sounds. But a few transfusions later, and I am... Lickety split, good to go, tip top, never better. Thank you very much for asking. Uh, I didn't. Donnie's suit was causing a lot of problems on set because, of course, both our Cape Crusader and Robin have very explicit nipples in the film. But I just feel like George Clooney can get away with more stuff. Robin, on the other hand, old Donnie, he was such a little asshole to everyone that people really started pointing they, them out, yeah, flicking them. They taunted him. Um, as a counterpoint to the prank that we pulled on George on the first day of shooting, we actually filled Donnie's suit uh, with helium. So there's a quite a thick one-inch layer between the aluminum facade of his suit and the actual part that is pressed against his flesh, which is helium. So he's constantly uh, trying to stay grounded. So it's it's, I mean... So these little details, I imagine, is why people listen to director's commentary. So if you can imagine on set, obviously the camera's telling a different story, but right off camera right now, you've got uh, George Clooney barely able to stand up and Donnie barely able to stay on the ground. And it was uh, it made for a very amusing first few minutes on set, but um, really disruptive, really, dis- really... Dis- That's a shoot. So hard to shoot. I can't believe you took a note that I had written in the character formats, which I'd, I'd given to you with the other documentation, that said Robin finds it hard to stay grounded and sort of taken it in that direction. It's uh, a very literal read of yeah, what was a bit of background. Well, 
for, I, for one, I, one I of suppose my players. The fault lies at your feet with regards to clarity. If if you don't express expressly write uh, grounded, yeah, emotionally, not physically. I mean, how else am I meant to interpret that? Well, I guess some things should just maybe be a little implicit. Some unspoken law, for example, you don't fuck the wife of a colleague who you're working together with on hey, a movie 20 years ago so sometimes you don't need to say these things aloud you just you feel like you can kind of trust uh, that again, people are going to know those if sorts you'd of written rules. it down maybe we wouldn't have wound up in the situation we did but i'd rather not get into that right now as we've just introduced mr freeze who is uh freezing up a storm as is his want well when you say introduced you mean introduced to this scene he's he's back from outer space yeah, and he's just arrived in this room with that cold look upon his face. Wow, he's got all this love to give and a big old gun. Yeah, which he uses to freeze people. He f- he points it at them and fires it, and they become uh, cry gently frozen. And also a very good detail. Now I have been meaning to ask since we recorded this film, mm. was it a scientific fact that you have eleven minutes to unfreeze someone after they're completely frozen oh, solid? Look, I know a lot of people have asked about this. I put in the script quite a few times. People needed to remind the audience that if you get frozen by Mister Freeze, you've got eleven minutes to get out to get thawed before your body will actually shut down and you won't be able to be uh, brought back again. What was it in reference to? I wish you'd say. Let's just say. I was aware of a future event that was going to happen. Go on. Wanted to send a warning out there to everyone. That's why it appears so much in the film. It becomes uh, a central point for the plot, as people will find out later on in the climactic final scene, uh, where Robin, Batman, and Batgirl have 11 minutes to save, well, I don't want to give away the goat, but the entire city of Gotham. Gotham, which, which of course, we know is a fictional representation of New York City. So more action here, more fight scenes, more thrills and spills for the punters who have turned up to come to this movie. A little disheartening to find out afterwards that uh, our leading man here, Batman started issuing refunds individually to people who would come up to him on the street and say, hey, I saw Batman and Robin. I feel him, It was hard to take. I actually stood up after the premiere of this film and uh, delivered a a heartfelt apology to those who were there. Uh, I insisted on doing the audio mix for the first screening, and what wound up happening was um, over the entire movie, Dexie's Midnight Runners Come and Eileen just played out. Um, I'd been listening to it in the audio booth when I was mixing the audio, and I don't know how it happened, but somehow uh, that just played over and over and over. I mean, and you would have thought someone would have stopped it, but because I'd been very insistent on controlling the audio myself. This is quite. I mean, this is a recurring theme with you, Joel. Not a lot of people who are put in charge of mixing the audio would listen to a song while they're doing it. You know? Well, a lot of balls in the air. Not a lot of people are the best. Can't argue with that. Again, I can't stress this enough. I was so much prouder with our depiction of Bane rather than that barely audible Christopher Nolan monstrosity that he put on. Fucking Nolan. If you are listening, you better protect yourself and those you love the most because guess what? I'm coming for you, you little bitch. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Christopher Nolan's never even touched my wife and he's still not the director of a Batman film I hate the most, except that he is because of that goddamn trilogy 
I can see why I mean, he, into... my, he was just doing Memento when we were doing this, but... That's right. What a confusing piece of shit that was. Here's an idea for you, Chris fucking Nolan. Why don't you try directing a movie in order for once in your goddamn life? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Batman careening down the sort of Gotham representation of the Statue of Liberty. That's right. Um, And, of course, we've got a real tension at play between Batman and Robin, and it was fertile ground to explore. What is the power dynamic of their relationship? Is Robin happy in his role as the sidekick? Uh, Absolutely not. He's not satisfied. That was the whole point of this. It is about the apprentice questioning the master and the master saying, you're a stupid piece of shit for asking the question. How dare you question me? Never question me again. Uh, He disables his motorcycle in this scene by remote control from the Batmobile which I thought was a cool little technological touch that I added to the script executed very well I thought by your special uh, effects team thank you yeah Donnie on the other hand you a uh, baffling reaction I don't know how that was the best take on the day but again you like, from memory weren't there on that particular day either that you just well, sent the dailies of that one I, I couldn't make it that day of course um, I had a sore toe on the would you believe it on the other foot so just as my my left foot had recovered my right toe was feeling very painful very sore that morning but yeah i think again um the crew really pulled together they did their best without me and when i came back to see the next day a lot of them said we had a really good time on set yesterday you weren't missed at all and i I was really pleased and proud of them for for pulling together in my absence everyone loves a united enemy you know really gets a a team working not how I interpreted it, but um, I, I was just glad that they could all bond and, and, and really have a good time working hard together. You know what I found interesting in subsequent watches of this film that we made together, Batman and Robin? Of the two actors that we've got kind of leading this, um, George Clooney and Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's the Austrian bodybuilder for whom acting was certainly not their first career choice in life, nor was English obviously their first language in life who's really delivering the much more convincing performance well and i think i can do a little to explain that first of all arnold schwarzenegger is the consummate professional he brings a fantastic attitude and his housewife and his and his housewife and also his housekeeper which i think might be how he got busted to set every day once he, i don't know how many times you got to be reminded of this i'm a writer you get two words making one word you're saving time okay Okay, thank you. Um, but George, he brought a really positive attitude, a really good energy to sit on the first day. And I think that's part of the reason we were so excited to, to do this big prank. Uh, and what wound up happening is, you know, people say that your, your emotional landscape can mirror your physical landscape. So where you are physically can suddenly affect where you are emotionally. And um, you put him in a desert. Well, we put him in a cast iron bat suit and I think he, he felt heavy and... His attitude changed on a dime. For mm. someone who's willing to dish it out and prank up a storm on set, he certainly can't take it because he brought nothing but negativity and a bad attitude to set for all all the following days. What a piece of shit, eh? Well, take the joke, George. Yeah, it's funny. It's a goof. It was for the. That's first, why you've got like fifty said, vertebrae. A couple of them get crushed. There's more to take uh, the yeah. load. There's so many vertebrae. God doesn't give you one vertebrae. That's it. George doesn't yeah. get it. Think about you know who what gets it? it. Arnie gets it. Yeah. Do you know who doesn't get it? Who? Donnie. Oh, Donnie never 
Johnny couldn't even conceive of it. That little piece of shit. Piece of work, isn't he? That's what I said. I said to George, I said, you know who you remind me of a lot right now? While he was uh, being crushed by his cast iron best. I said, do you know who you remind me of right now? Donny. You're being a Donny. You You're see. being a Donny. And then I said, you know who's got it rough, Mr. 50 Vertebrae? Jellyfish. Guess what God gave them? No fucking vertebrae. Why don't you think about what it's like to be a jellyfish while you stay there in that set overnight while the rest of the cast and crew go home? Oh, God. I'm really sorry. I thought I put it on flight mode. Is it? Do you want to take that? No, I don't think I should take that call okay. in front of you. Okay. A weird response. Now, Oxbridge, a clever, clever little writing trick uh, that I developed to get around the fact that we actually sought permission uh, to use both Cambridge and Oxford as college backstories that Alicia Silverstone was coming to us from yeah neither would to relinquish the film with a sense of realism that's right which once again the sole the motivation modus of this film operandi every Batman Alicia Silverstone coming to us from studying abroad in sunny old England at a prestigious university we asked Cambridge they said no we asked Oxford they said never contact us again so what I did is I made Oxbridge. Oxbridge. Yeah. Get the two words, put them together, save time. This is what I do Everyone as a writer. understood that from from the get-go, but you were insistent on explaining it, and every time we, we were recording a take, whenever Alicia Silverstone would say Oxbridge, you'd step in and you'd, you'd halt the entire production. Because you got to tell them. They gotta know. The people gotta know. Super disruptive. You gotta sell tickets. The people gotta know. Putting out enough fires on set every day. Now, at this point in the movie, we're at about halfway. Uh, Mr. Freeze has been apprehended by our Cape Cape Crusader, the world's greatest detective, Batman, George Clooney, great personal friend of mine. And so he's in Arkham Asylum now, Mr. Freeze, and they've they've sort of got him trapped um, inside of a, a cold beam which was something I conceived of on my cocaine binge uh, because I was noticing that when I stopped doing cocaine, I was feeling very, very cold. Yeah. And so what I needed at that time was more cocaine. So I thought, what's a way of kind of visually representing this and for the supervillain of the film who needs to be cold all the time? Cold, cocaine, C, C, keep him cold, keep him on cocaine. Do I you have any cocaine? Very pleased. I don't write. No, now. sorry, no, sorry. I, that was yeah. a question for now. Yeah. So I, I can don't you have, get some? No, and you've done so well these last sort of fifteen years. I really would hate for you to revisit that dark, dark time in your life. But when you wrote this into the script, uh, I bought a lot of stock in LEDs and um, dry Co- ice. Dry ice, just off the back of that. Well, oh, no, the, before the before this. So yeah. in the first scene I did, and yeah. then when you did that. I saw a perfect opportunity to make some of my own money back on set. Mm. So that entire effect, that cold beam, mm. while you were obsessing over cocaine, I guess he was buying a lot of LEDs and uh, I didn't realise that. Is that boy. how you did that effect? It's also how it I got was found out. very believable. Thank you. Very good effect. Very effective effect. Now, this next scene, we really didn't have any idea what to do with it. You just left a few pages blank and said, improvise, uh, which, funnily enough, is exactly what I did with Uma Thurman and Bain. I um, I told them to take a few cameras, take a few buckets of glow-in-the-dark paint, uh, and just have fun for a few days. And this is what they turned in, and it worked out so perfectly, we just put it right into the middle of the film, the, the midpoint. So for the, for the visually impaired, I'll just describe the scene. Uh, we've got Poison Ivy and the 
ultra strong Bane have arrived at their new Leia. Am I saying that correctly? Leia? Leia. Leia? Their words, not mine. I took a real hands-off approach to this scene. Punks with glow-in-the-dark paint just lathered upon themselves have taken over a little quarter which used to be, um, I think, an ice cream parlor, perhaps. I remember the exterior shot, right, for the location that you picked. And so now Bane's got to set about taking on these young men with chains and glow and dark paint. And uh, we do we do a great job, you and I, of showing how strong a man can be. A lot of wire well, again, work, a lot of throwing humans. I can't take any credit for this scene. Um, sort of as long as we're in this environment, I didn't shoot any of this. This was all Uma and Bane. Remember, this is Uma Thurman's first feature film. So for her to not only pick up the acting side of things so quickly, but all of the production and directorial elements. I just can't help but think that Pulp Fiction came out before this. I I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Certainly, as I understood it, this was Uma's on-screen debut and and she, she brought it. What is this floor? One of my classic lines. What does an artist do? Ask questions. So Bane kicks through the floor, which was previously tile, to reveal the dirt ground below so that she can be better connected to the earth. You see, everything is there for a reason. There isn't a second wasted in this film. And I think that is due in large part to me, Akiva Goldsman. And me, Joel Schumacher, the director of Batman and Robin. I mean, I, I got to admit, I kind of tuned out of this bit. Uh, when I saw it at the cinema well, for the first time, I did too. And I got to say, I really regret giving Uma and Bane the camera and just creative license because, I mean, you can get away with that as long as you don't also give them editing privileges because they ju- they went to town like this is just back and forth between them. Bane can't even talk; it's sort of more of a monosyllabic character. I think just repeating the odd word yeah. that Uma's throwing out, and, and, and we're in this for a long time. I just well, don't quite understand why Akiva, we have to be here. Live by the sword, die by the sword. You gave me two blank pages. I gave Uma and Bane creative license. You get what you're given. I guess so. Al McPherson, we're cutting to now. Used to great effect in this film. Uh, easy for a lot of people to forget she's in it. Well, I understand you. And do you want to know why? Why? Because she is gingerly peppered throughout this script. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We got a lot of criticism over her scenes. Uh, She was described as a superfluous prop, uh, given no real backbone or purpose. 
What do you say to those criticisms? Uh, if I could, if I could look that critique in the eye, I would say to you, you are valid, you're correct, and I'm I'm sorry for what I did. We had a great time hanging out with her on set, though. She, she was is great. a lie. And she is hot. Boy, <laughs> is she hot. You know, there's really no denying that. Of course, we introduced her as being um, sort of a vapid vessel of femininity, basically to serve solely to show everyone. And once again, you want to tell them rather than show them. But this was one of the opportunities I took to, to use the other option that Bruce Wayne is the, the 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 country, the world's most eligible bachelor. You know, he's a millionaire. He's got women lying at his feet everywhere he goes, and, and we just we needed an empty vessel to be able to kind of sh- show the show the. I'm sweating in here. I just can't help but ask again: Do you have access to cocaine? Maybe you've got someone with I a phone I, number I, I on that I really, cell phone, or I run a drug-free house, just like I ran a drug-free set. Really? Yeah. This set. This set was in all of this movie. No, just that particular room. Oh, that scene. Okay. That was also, you can't see it, but on the other side of the camera, yeah. uh, I had my nanny and my several children on set. Mm-hmm. And so I was very strict. I said, absolutely no drugs to be consumed in front of the children or the nanny, who was a recovering drug addict herself. It's very thoughtful of you. Wish you had extended the same courtesy to me, but did manage to get myself clean five years after this movie was released. So not a bad go. Now... This next scene, we have uh, the building of a bond between Robin and Alicia Silverstone, a.k.a. Catgirl, a.k.a. Batgirl, who has not yet re- revealed herself to be either of those. All we know now is that she has a real penchant for riding motorbikes at, at pace. Um, also, we just so happened to find out that Coolio was in town and wanted to find a way to, to squeeze him into the film. And for the eagle-eyed amongst you, you can look forward to his cameo coming up momentarily like a little pimple we just squeezed him in there didn't we there he is there he is on screen accepting money for a motorcycle race that alicia silverstone is going to enter into that's what we made it but uh on the day he was actually selling the remaining bootlegs of gangster's paradise so he was hawking those on set taking real money from real people um and, and again we just rolled with the punch Luckily, we had the connection through Coolio to introduce us to R. Kelly, who at the time was a very problem-free and popular music mm. artist who managed to bang out a track for us. Um, obviously, it was no I Believe I Can Fly, I'll tell you that. No, no, the track wasn't good, and uh, obviously subsequent damage to his reputation, quite rightly, uh, kind of worked against us during the 10-year anniversary of this film when we tried to get it back in, into a cinema release. Not a lot of studios uh, willing to back the re-release once Warner Brothers had released the rights after that 10-year period. Their contract was up. Not a lot of cinemas that wanted to put it in there on the big screen. Not a lot of people willing to give me cocaine uh, during that time either. Wow. Which I found difficult and cold. You were... Look, if you could stop going on about it for one hot second, that would be fantastic. Now, we get asked quite often about the special effects used in this film. Those aren't real motorbikes. What we did instead is take two pizza boxes mm-hmm. and uh, we used an old broom. We took the head off of it, an old uh, aluminum broom, and we wedged it between the two pizza boxes and then got a bunch of 18-year-old kids high on LSD to run around in a padded room. Uh, everything you see in terms of lights and motion, helmets and crashes. Let me guess. 
It's post. It's That's right. It was all in post. There was special effects, and we lost a lot of good workers. Uh, we know editing these scenes. I was called tyrannical um, in one blog post that they released on the 15 year anniversary. Uh, and, and for good reason. I was a genuine tyrant. I mean, when you saw the footage raw, it was a mess. You just had a bunch of 18-year-olds running around a room with two pizza boxes and a broom going woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Uh, and then, you know, sort of 50 to 55 minutes of them crying. And uh, a lot of people weren't just upset in the room with the fact they had to turn this into a motorcycle chase scene. Motorcycle chase scene, sorry. But they were also upset on behalf of the, the kids who were, who were filmed. A lot of them uh, were their, their brothers, their friends. And I suppose it's these sorts of anecdotes which people find interesting. That's probably why a lot of people listen to this sort of thing, uh, to hear those behind-the-scenes tales. Not all of them good, uh, but there's another one for you. How old were these kids that you were giving pizza boxes and alley stage? They were 18. Okay. How old were the kids in the, in the studio? Yeah. They were exclusively the younger siblings, so they were anywhere between 5 to 13. Okay. And they did a bang-up job, i got to say. For a bunch of kids who had never seen a computer before, you've really got to respect their special effects. I mean, I know not all of it is aged perfectly, but if you could just see the raw footage that they were given, what they have done is truly incredible. Mate, I don't even know how you make a green flame or how you make a, a, Neither a flame do I. green. It wasn't my problem, as I said back then. Yeah. Now we've got a beautiful scene where one of the motorcycle racers and Alicia Silverstone have both been led to the brink of their own doom. They're hanging off the precipice of disaster. It, it's that building again, I think, that observatory. Uh, they're way up in the sky, way up there. So tall above the city that's below them. Uh, not our greatest special effects work. No. Not good at all. Barely believable. Alicia Silverstone dangling and the city below her. Um, unconvincing, to be honest. That's I didn't buy that. disappointing you say that because then, we shot that for real. The biker takes off his helmet who has got one leg holding him up and one arm holding Alicia Silverstone, uh, preventing her from dying. It, it takes off his helmet. It's Donnie. It's Robin. Yeah. And he was furious because he'd seen how much money we were spending on special effects for other parts of the film. And when we told him he had to do all of his stunts live, he was uh, rightfully upset. And he deserved it, the little shit. Yeah, we said, don't be a little bitch, Donnie. No one likes a little bitch. You're going to slide off the side of that building 200 meters above the ground. Also, help me, God, I will strike down with great vengeance upon thee. It's a quote from Pulp Fiction, a a fantastic film. And uh, one of the inspirations I took when directing this. Just, I just don't understand because you. So you. So Uma Thurman. This is her f- first film. That's right. Her feature film debut. First time on screen. Okay. So, uh, I mean, are you aware that Uma Thurman was in Pulp Fiction? Pulp the Quentin Tarantino film yeah. Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Uh, with with Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta as those sort of. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I've seen it. You know, Uma Thurman's in that movie, right? My Uma. Yeah, this one. The Uma a, who's playing Poison Ivy in this film? Yes. No, I, 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 I think you've got you've you've got something mistaken there. I don't even know how you could miss it because Pulp Fiction came out about two years before this yeah, film. Yeah, I, I remember out. I went I went to the opening. I loved it. I had drinks with Quentin afterwards. Alright. I said hey, I loved who, it. Who do you think is the leading lady in Pulp Fiction? Marcel Wallace's wife. 
Uh, I can't remember her name. She was in a Nickelodeon show. I don't uh, think she Melissa, was Melissa Joan Hart. No, that's not right. Yeah. Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I was thinking of Clarissa Explains It All, but she did do Sabrina the Teenage Witch as well. Yes. And I got to say, she did a great job. It was a real departure from those sort of uh, bubblegum teenage roles she played in those TV shows. And she did a great job in Pulp Fiction. Just to remind the audience, I felt it important for us to go back to Arkham Asylum to see Mr. Freeze, who has now carved his wife's visage out of a kind of an ice cube, really, and put it on top of a clock, which he busted the face off to make a beautiful, rotating, almost like a ballet dancer-style jewelry box Yeah, device. like a music sort of, a music box. I thought there was a you nice know when moment you opened, I created. Yeah, that was. And uh, we got Arnie to, to sculpt that himself uh, through his brittle painted on frozen fingers and he really came into his own the man can do anything he puts his mind to really isn't he? he's one of those guys who you spend time with and you realize he's just good at whatever he, he, he turns his hand to. you set him a task and he'll do it we keep telling him to beat the crap out of donnie and he'd come through every time that's right and after after shooting doctors said you need to grow back your skin or you will just be muscle and skeleton for the rest of your life and and he did it so he did that too. He does it all. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he does it all. If you could just, uh, for those of uh, uh, listeners who are visually impaired or can't actually current, currently see what's happening, yeah. or maybe are struggling to... The Riddler's to, costume there, I'll just point out. homage to the last film. Um, could you please... Where are we in terms of plot development and story? What are the stakes right now? Because I got asked that a lot after I finished the film, and I could never answer that question. So we're at about midway through the second act of the film now we've met all of our characters we've met the goodies we've met the baddies we've been reminded that no one is available to bring akiva goldsman cocaine and we're all fighting to try and correct the problems that we've been presented so what are the issues that we've got mr freeze needs some diamonds so that he can cure his wife who is currently held in a cryogenic freezing chamber while she suffers uh, from a disorder which i made up called uh oh I can't even remember Watson's what I called it at the time. Disease, I think. McCarthy or something. Syndrome, something along those lines. Uh, we've got Batman and we've got Robin. They're having a bit of a falling out at the moment because little little boy wonder there, Robin, he's about ready to leave the nest. He's questioning authority. He's getting a big boot. Wow. Well, big for, big, getting a big, big for his boots. Pleased to see the back of Donnie. He was a real little shit on set. Real little shit. So we've got some conflict there. Uh, we've got Poison Ivy who has teamed up to bust... Mr. Freeze out of Arkham Asylum, so they're forging an alliance now. And uh, once again, I can't stress this enough, Mr. Goldsman still without any cocaine to his name. So we're just trying to figure out how to how to kind of put a button on a lot of these speaking things. speaking in the present tense, or are you remembering both? So now that you have an idea of what's happening, we just wanted to re-emphasize to everyone Bane's strength. I mean, we've got three villains and... I remember feeling a little lost on set at this point. Um, it takes a lot to make a stew, but too many cooks spoil the broth. And certainly with three villains working together without any real clear purpose, um, I've always found this to be a slightly muddled and confusing bit of the film. Let me pull down my pants and show you something. You really don't have to do that. It's a tattoo. See that first one? Yeah. I- the first one says... Got to sell tickets. Yeah, I I can see, see it. that second one? Yeah, I can see The second see. one says, tell them, don't show them. Yeah. 
And I can see the third one as well. Fiddle up, fiddle down. Fiddle up, fiddle down. You see that fourth one? I, I'd rather not. What does that fourth one say? Jesus Christ. That fourth one says, in blood, which I top up once a week, that fourth tattoo right there on the left cheek, just below there. Yeah, I can see it. The more balls, the better. And what I meant by that is you want to throw a lot of balls in the air. Is that meant to be written in cursive? Because that just looks like a smear. No, that's just the blood kind of has trickled down and sort of that's created its own still, trail. That's wet. I, I top it up all the time to make sure that it's still... You should... Oh, for a second. I'm just going to vass up a little bit because it actually looks a bit... That looks very tender. So at this point, with all of the action and all of the balls in the air at your request, um, Akiva, what I wanted to imbue the film with uh, was just a little bit more sexual tension between the Batman and Alfred. And so you wrote the scene. I shot it. Um, at this point, George somehow... And the character, the actor playing Alfred, had actually had sex. So all that sexual tension we'd been building up and holding in the air and bubbling up, you know, on set and on camera, was gone. So that was a very awkward scene for them to shoot. It's called sexual tension catch and release. It's a little technique I came up with. You build it up, and then you get the actors to fuck. And then you just watch the aftermath, turn the camera on, witness the downfall. Felt like it, uh... Fiddle up, fiddle down. But in a romantic sense. Now, a lot of people were disappointed with our depiction of Commissioner Gordon in this film. And I understand uh, that later on he was cast as the late, great Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman's still alive. No longer with us, R.I.P. See you on the other side, big fella. He's still on our side. He's tried to wrestle with this property from our hands. I think he's like 58. But our decision was a little bit more coloured by the Adam West series because we were trying to create a grounded every Batman. Something that was a little bit more realistic. Not some grizzled police chief who, you know, grew up all earnest and did the right thing all the time. We wanted a big, fat old cop, like you see, walking down the street to the donut shop with a hell of a slug on him. That's right. We, One of those silly cop hats. We tried to reach out to Hank Azaria. Uh, we had a very expensive prosthetic Chief Wiggum costume made up uh, that we got Matt Groening to design. He didn't release the rights, but he designed the costume. It was a very legally confusing move from him. Uh, and he said no. So we did an open casting call, um, this time not in a casket. And that guy just walked in off the street. He, he was trying to find a Dunkin' Donuts. And we said, you've got the gear. Yeah, man. You're the boy. You're the captain now. That's what we said. You're the captain of this ship. And very we gave him a real police badge, a real gun. We made him work on the police force for a week, unbeknownst to the local police who were actually working in the area. So that created a lot of confusion, and he brought that onto the set. And uh, I think you can see that in a lot of his scenes. So at this point, uh, look, we're approaching the third act. There's a lot going on. I've just I've added a few more balls in the script at this point. We've got a lot of cops running around. Mr. Freeze has teamed up with poison ivy uh we're going to destroy a lot of police officers now by freezing them using the vents because i just i think it's important in a, in a kid's movie for the every kid to kill as many police officers as possible i think it's an important that, lesson to give to our kids blood's what coming if i through tried your pants. to teach everyone wall street can't be trusted the number 11 you need to look out in the future 
of course referring to the global financial crisis that hit in 2008 represented by the twin towers because they were financial centers of you know it's money a little heavy in here and you, you're losing a lot of blood on that on that left leg there can and you what see what i also this? tried to teach everyone is asking the question i'm what gonna if, put a bandage on it because if you're not going to do something what if batman fucks alfred what if alfred someone fucks has his to okay Leg what up. if Alfred and Robin fuck each other? That should at least stem the blood flow for the meantime. Those are good questions, though. Thank you. You're welcome. So, Poison Ivy, her main ability as a villain is to blow pheromones into the face of those near to her and uh, make them sexually lust after her, at which point she'll administer them a kiss and they will die. And so she's sort of playing Batman and Robin off of each other. That power dynamic, that power struggle they're confronting throughout the entire film, uh, it comes out in their quest, their mutual quest to bed Poison Ivy. Um, it's just like real life. For example, if you're married to someone and someone else lusts after your wife, that can create some conflict on set or wherever you work. That's right. That, 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 that can create conflict on set, it can create a, an explosive argument, and uh, you know a lot of magazine sales for various different outlets. Um, People, but there's no We're looking you at know, you. There's, USA Today, yeah, and there's no need to dredge Wall Street up Journal, the past, Hollywood Reporter. Decisions were made. Deadline. Look, I don't know what to tell you, man. She made the first move. Just tell me that. Tell me that just once she accidentally said my name in bed. Do you want me to? Do you want me to say that, or do you want me to tell you the truth? I want you to say that. I have no use for the truth. I'm a storyteller. Just once. Just once, Beatrice said your name in bed. I'm awesome. sexual dynamo so at this point much like we have now in the director's commentary we both and we were the only ones who were allowed to read the script before each shoot day on set uh just lost interest and sort of i I lost interest when i wrote this but as well we we turned our backs and we had a pretty explosive argument over um a mutual love interest at the time and we just put the cameras on tripods and left them rolling and once again, it's... Um, a lot of heavy lifting from post. Yeah. Those 13-year-olds sure know how to work a scene between a screenwriter and the director of a franchise uh, beloved by many into cinematic gold. Or not, as the case may be, if you are want to look at Rotten Tomatoes rating of this particular feature. I don't measure the success or failure of a film by the percentage doled out by Rotten Tomatoes. How do you measure success, Joel? I measure success by how many people stop me on the street for years to come after the film and say, you taught me how to let go. And how many people have... What, what, what sort of people are telling you that off the back of watching this film? Mostly Batman fans. Oh, I see. And it's certainly... It's not... It wasn't the my mission statement at the start of uh, production, but... If I can just change, you know, for every hundred people who see the film, if I can just change one of their lives, if I can teach one of them, them one Batman. lesson, my job is done. 
And one of those lessons could be Batman's no good. You should abandon the franchise. I'm, I look, I'm not, I don't want to tell people what to take away from my movie. Okay. Once I put it out into the wild, yeah. that's no longer mine. That's for other people to engage with and take I love their own that. lessons away from. I love that. I love that mentality. That is why we've worked together on so many films. Couldn't name them. There's so many. I can't name and for other reasons. Any of them either. Now we're back in Poison Ivy's newly revamped Leah. Am I saying that correctly? Leah? Leah? Certainly. A lot of vines growing around the place. A lot of dry ass. A lot of LEDs on display. You can really see the budget of this film yeah, being splashed well, around. We decided to give Uma Thurman some sunglasses at this point. I wrote that into the original screenplay. Very important to me. What this is representing is her future is looking so bright at this point in the movie, she's had to go and did put some shades on. That's right. We, we copped a lot of flack about that. Um, but I, I stand by that decision as well. At this point, after we'd lost interest in actually making the movie, we both started looking to the future. That's why I started buying up a lot of LEDs and dry ice, using it on set, trying to get my money back. Um, and... Sort of a similar thing that Martha Stewart got done for us. Quite an inside trading. Well, I was spending a lot of time with Martha Stewart at the time. Of course, Martha and Beatrice, very good friends. Uh, And the three of us, we cooked a lot of meals. We had a lot of fun. And isn't she fun? Beatrice? Martha Stewart. Yeah, Martha Stewart, is. she's a real joy to be around. You think she's good at tenderizing a little bit of ginger and telling you how much to put in a salad? You watch her make a cocktail. Yeah. God. And she knows how to party. After watching her make a cocktail, you, you watch her and Beatrice have a conversation, um, if you can call it that. It is. And if you've watched Martha Stewart and Beatrice have a conversation, watch them undress. Yeah, big time. Arnold Schwarzenegger once again doing a lot of the good acting in this film. And Uma Thurman in her on-screen debut uh, going toe-to-toe with the big man himself. Uh, i got to say... She was a revelation for mine. And I remember the studio, they were really trying to push Melissa Joan Hart on us, um, trying to say she'd be great with the role of Poison Ivy. And I said, I don't know if she can go dark enough. In spite of what I saw from her in Pulp Fiction, I want an unknown. I want something new. And Melissa Joan Hart actually showed up to the open casket call and she was terrible. She was wriggling around. She was panicking a lot. In fairness, for her audition, we did close the lid and put a camera in the corner of the coffin, so it was a little more real. Um, but from from what I saw on the tape, did not know how to play dead. And if you can't play dead, you can't play living. And if you can't play living, you cannot embody the character of Poison Ivy convincingly for my production of Batman and Robin. And I suppose it's just little stories like that, little moments behind the scenes snippets that uh, it's probably why you know people listen to these sorts of things. Once again, if you're just joining us, this is the Bluetooth special edition audio commentary with myself, Akiva Goldsman, the screenwriter, and uh, myself, for Batman and Robin, uh, Joel Schumacher, the director who took Akiva's script um, and and brought it to life as best I can. A movie that's been accused of being much too long. Uh, by some audiences, and much wow. too short by no one. No one said that. You want to talk Not about movies person. that come out too long? Have you seen anything that that absolute fuckhole, Chris Christopher fucking Nolan, Nolan, good God, has put out? Get an editor on that man. Honestly, who was in charge of chopping those movies up? You You've seen, seen Memento. You seen Interstellar? What is that? More like Inter Not Stellar. That's I wrote a personal memo to him. 
and hair. I taped it down to a piece of paper. I sent it to his house. Terrifying. Whose hair was it? My hair. Upstairs or downstairs? A little bit of both. Nice. Keep them guessing. Throw a lot of balls in the air. Do I have to show you the tattoo again? Probably not because you've learned no, the lesson. No, please do not touch any part of your leg because if you pick at that anyway. bandage, yeah. You know how I was cold before? Now I'm hot. I am sweating in here. Your face is very gaunt and white. Thank you for noticing. Not a compliment. What we're trying to push towards at this part of the film, folks, in the third act, we're about midway through the third act, is getting everyone to a precipice for an all is lost moment. That's something you might not be familiar with. It's a little term we use That's in screenwriting. Term you taught me, yeah. What is the all, of lo- all is lost moment? All is lost moment is the precipice of disaster that you want to take all of the uh, protagonists of the film to just before you resolve everything at the end. So what we're doing is we're trying to raise the stakes on everything. We've got Donnie, Robin, the character, railing against Batman because he's under the influence through the uh, pheromone powder that of poison, yeah. poison ivy, which is a direct and- metaphor for a woman's sexuality getting in the way of two friends and colleagues I, who work together as a partnership. Can I Can I just say, while Donnie and I did have our differences on set and I found him to be uh, a delinquent and an unprofessional shite, um, he really brought a fantastic energy to those scenes of conflict with George. And I, I was later told by various different members of the crew that what he was doing was he, he was channeling his frustration with me uh, and also with you uh, and using that. It's called method acting. And I've got to say, in spite of our creative and personal differences, he really brought it for those scenes. And I, I really respect the shit out of him for, 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 for what he did on camera. It's just interesting. When you, uh, when you said just moments ago, I fucked your wife, it kind of came out similar, just the way that you said it as creative differences. I, so I strange never, the way that you've got. Your I mouth never said I fucked your wife. Well, you've you've said it now. Only in the context of saying I've never said I fucked your wife. I forgive you. I didn't ask for forgiveness. Al McPherson for wheeled out back again in this brief part of the film. We thought it was important to remind people that we managed to secure the rights to get Al McPherson well, in a film. It was in her contract that if we were going to use her name in the promotion promotional material, she had to be in there somewhere. She had to be in there thrice. Not once, not twice, but thrice. That's right. Uh, and so this is the one of the only scenes in the film where you see two people who are acting for the first time uh, acting against each other. And, and they both uh, did everything they could uh, to imbue the, the scene with a sense of realism, which was the only direction I was willing to give on this day. I was very hungover. Uma Thurman, our antagonist, is Poison Ivy, and her human form is Dr. Patricia, uh, talking to Commissioner Gordon... Uh, I can't even recall what the event was that I've scripted in this moment. Is this at the fun? This is after the fundraiser. I'm not sure why we're all hanging out uh, in this bit. You've created some other large moment wherein uh, all of the characters of the film wind up getting together. George Clooney, um, as handsome as he is frustrated in this scene, he was definitely wearing the suit. I remember it well on this day. My direction for everyone was to to make Smell it realistic or pretend like you've just someone's beefed and you've caught yeah. whiff of it that when Uma Thurman blows her little powder we're going to add that out in post you'll, you'll see what we've got in mind for that for the pheromone powder but when you get a sense that it is in the room I want you to pretend like someone's farted those are the words you spoke to your cast and then I said make it realistic keep it real 
And I walked out. I walked out of the set that day. I, I, my left knee was just killing me. And uh, I got to say, the next day when I came back to set, the crew said, so we really missed you yesterday. We could have used your advice. Uh, we had a lot of people who were just sniffing for the duration of the day, whether or not that was because they were following my instruction to pretend they'd smelled a fart or um, sniffing the bag of cocaine that you were running with to get into your locker that exploded over the set. It's hard to say. Oh, boy, that was a hard day for everybody. Not a fun day. Not a fun day to be around. Great day for me. Kiva Goldsman, that's for sure. My knee started feeling much better. As soon as I was offset, I actually went and played several games of tennis. How'd you get on? Uh, Very well. I was playing against then US Open champion Pete Sampras uh, just on my private court. I decimated him. Six love, six love, six one. Good God. Well, cocaine will do that to a man. Alicia Silverstone now trying to write in a bit more conflict for her character. Um, she is now trying to crack the code. Alfred has uh, given to her. <laughs> Would it be a, fair uh, to say you were data disc clutching at straws with this scene? No, absolutely not. We've already introduced this character as being a computer expert. She is studying at the illustrious Oxbridge University. Yeah. As you were in very England. sure to explain again on set during the the time we recorded these scenes. She's a computer expert. She's been given a disc to give to her other uncle. Wilfred, not Alfred, Wilfred. People keep confusing these. They're very different names. Yeah. Alfred is the butler of Batman. Wilfred is Obviously. his brother. Figure Obvious. it out. Figure it out. Just like Melissa Joan Hartwood. Figure it out. Couldn't get it, unfortunately. So Alicia Silverstone is there. We could have Against the wishes of Alfred, she is trying to crack into the starter disc, which she has been given in trust by her dying uncle to give to her other dying uncle. But she the curiosity against the cat, and that's how she became Even now, woman. as someone who directed uh, and is watching the film back on this, the 20th uh, anniversary. Bluetooth special edition, thanks for being here. Uh, I, I struggle to keep up exactly with the plot as laid out it's by you. It's very basic. We've got two main heroes. Batman has been teamed up with his sidekick, Robin. Robin is now mainstay of this film. Robin is railing against the authority set forth by George Clooney's Batman. Simultaneously, we've introduced Mr. Freeze. Who is he? Well, he is a medical researcher whose wife became very sick with an incurable disease who he trapped in an ice tomb, cryogenically freezing her so that he could buy himself enough time to come up with the cure to solve her medical disease. Simultaneously to that, we introduce Alicia Silverstone, who's she? Glad you asked. Alfred, who is the butler of Batman, has a niece who also is the niece to his brother. She's got two uncles is what I'm telling you. She is studying at the illustrious British University of Oxbridge. She is in the computer science division. She has come to visit her dying uncle to rescue him from his career of servitude. What's that? We need more balls in the air? Don't mind if I do. Here's Uma Thurman, first-time actor inheriting the role of Poison Ivy, a.k.a. Dr. Patricia, who is introduced alongside her co-worker, Dr. Skunk. They're working together on botany projects to try and imbue plants with certain powers so they can fight back, whereas Dr. Skunk has taken the research and corrupted it, weaponizing it into a super soldier, which he is going to give to authoritarian dictators from third world countries. What's happening now? Uh, 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 We're introducing an everyman police commissioner in the form 
of Gordon, okay? I get it. I heard your complaints. Everyone thinks Commissioner Gordon's supposed to be some superhero. He's not. He's you. Everyone out there can be Gordon. We want to show that on screen. So we tried to make a suit up of the bloody Simpsons character. What's his name? Chief Wiggum. Chief Wiggum. We couldn't get him. We couldn't get the rights. Fox wouldn't give us to them, okay? So we got another fat guy who was walking to a donut shop. We dressed him up like a cop. That's Gordon, okay? So here are all the balls we've got in the air. Mr. Freeze, he was in Arkham Asylum. We've busted him out. We're all together now. We're in the same room. We're trying to figure out who's going to win. Is it going to be the Super Soldier Bane who has now teamed up with Uma Thurman's Poison Ivy and Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze? Or is it going to be a recently divided Batman and Robin played by Donnie and George Clooney in a suit that has crushed his vertebrae? That is the question. Who will win? I would be uh, doing you, the person watching this movie while listening to the Bluetooth commentary, and us a disservice to reveal that right now. But let's just say, with two sequels in the works, it's going to be the good guys. I can't believe you've 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 treated this Bluetooth auditory track like you've treated my marriage. You've ruined it. I wouldn't say that. I would say I've brought the best out in you. Uh, something I would say in both instances. Um. And frankly, I resent the accusation. You did a fantastic job. I only wish maybe, you know, one of the days that you spent on set loudly inhaling or asking for cocaine and begrudging me for taking your wife Beatrice away from you, uh, that maybe you went to the trouble of explaining uh, what you just did to everyone involved with the production. Because we were running around like a bunch of headless chooks out there, it's okay? there in the script. Just read it. Loved this guy. This was a great casting call. The script called for a man to deliver three lines. One of them is, who is this nutball? Another one was, thank you. Can't even recall what the third one I wrote from was. It's just one of those days. Of course it is. And I just inserted as a character description for the man, uh, bespeckled, jacketed, pencil pusher. So he he was one of the doctors who's just kind of working around, one of the researchers who's at the uh, observatory. And God, did you guys nail it with the casting there? Well, that was not my decision. You'll be interested to hear. I actually uh, like to make cameos in all of my films and so insisted upon myself playing the role. Uh, And I got that across the line with both the studio and the casting director. But what happened is on set with the cameras on me, I became became very nervous and uh, I, I couldn't deliver the lines. And so uh, I grabbed the guy who I just grabbed off the street to direct those scenes. Uh, and I said, what if you and I swap places? And that's why how we wound it, up with that. So this is following quite a similar story of how you cast Commissioner Gordon as well. Yeah. How many how many roles were filled? And I'm talking cast and crew by people you sort of just saw on the street. Uh, so anyone without name recognition, it's their first time on camera or potentially holding the camera. Well, isn't that something? Well, the thing is, and I, I, I can't express this enough, we spent a lot of the budget on post, okay? Mm. We weren't necessarily paying these kids much, um, but we were spending a lot of money on the computers they were using. Yeah. And so... Technology was back different back then. People yeah. forget that. You I, know, I, you, I, you, you, had a, you had a your iMac, maybe. Don't even know if it was invented yet. You had your Dell... And that was about it. Those were your choices. Are you going to get a Compact. Dow? Compact was around back then. 
maybe Hewlett Packard. I think they might have. Yeah, they merged at some point. Was so, no, they started. It was the nineties. This is this is you know we it were was just on the cusp time. of the dot com boom. Now that speaking of computers, this was a little touch. I was very happy. I made it into the final edit. I decided that it would be kind of a cool touch if we got the beloved character of Alfred, the faithful servant of Bruce Wayne since child, and we turned him into a computer algorithm. So this was one of the first forays of putting someone's consciousness into a computer screen in a movie. I wanted to follow up that highly technical idea with a sequence of shots of Alicia Silverstone, who at the time might have been a little too young for this, a montage of close-ups on her breast and butt, putting on Much the like newly inherited rubber suit to we become did Batwoman. for George Clooney when we opened the film. Yes. George Clooney, of course, uh, in his late 30s at the time, and Alicia Silverstone being considerably younger at the time of shooting uh, her scenes. Of hot on the a, heels of the success of Clueless. Yeah. Which uh, which was a, a fantastic film I also directed. Um, they did pretty well. Paul Rudd, what was he like to work with? Paul Rudd? Yeah. He is not a good guy. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, that runs contrary to everything I've ever seen, read, or heard about him. That's why he plays the good guy so convincingly. Because he's he's going against type. Yeah, he's that bad of person. Wow. I say it's always easier to play your opposite. What I was trying to put in the script here was for Poison Ivy to emerge from, and I specifically spelled this out, a vagina-like bud. I've, I've so it was supposed to be a flower that opens up and, and reminds everyone of a vagina. I fought hard for that. I, I fought hard to put her inside of a gigantic uh, prosthetic latex vagina itself and you'd see Robin walk into uh, and have the scene play out in there. And we shot that before we got approval. Uh, it tested poorly with an audience and even worse with the uh, studio execs and we eventually had to to reshoot the scene and everything you're seeing here i'm sure you'll be surprised to hear is on uh a new technology at the time called green screen so this is mostly been done in post we didn't actually get uma thurman or donny uh on set for this this is all computer animated this is cgi cgi against the green screen we all know how the movies work folks yeah i don't need to bore you with the details of exactly how you do that uh, the reason that we didn't use Donnie, we didn't use Uma because she'd already driven her price up to the point that we couldn't use it. This is the last scene we shot. The reason we didn't use Donnie is um, I was having a pretty intense personal battle with him at the time. Um, he was suing me for everything I had uh, for, I think it was professional negligence and psychological torture. Uh, and I told that little bitch uh, he can take his court case and shove it up his tiny puck it up asshole because I'm not listening to a motherfucker who reminds me of Chris fucking Nolan. Uh, and <laughs> that's well, all I took was just the first names. Any guy called Chris gets your goat, really boils your blood. No, I was pretty particular about it. I said Chris fucking Nolan. But I mean, if you encounter anyone called Chris, are they going to remind you of Chris Nolan? Not at all. Some of my best friends are called Chris. So you wouldn't call yourself a, a Chrisist? Certainly not, no. Unless, of course... Yeah, that I'm particularly... I'm sorry to interrupt that okay. thought, but I was particularly proud of that pun uh, that we threw Alicia Silverstone's way. Uh, you're about to become compost. 
What people might not be able to appreciate is compost is a gardening term whereby uh, you might know it as mulch. You kind of get the clippings and the things that you're going to throw away, uh, debris, branches, leaves, that sort of stuff, grass. You put it all in one spot and then um, you, you put it in kind of a container and the worms take care of the rest. So it was sort of a... A clever little uh, double entendre. I believe I'm always said that right. if you have to explain it in that much detail, it's probably not a very good pun. I was specifically proud of this scene as mm. a New Zealand director, yes. and specifically proud of this scene because in it, uh, our film passed the Bechdel test, which a lot of people said we couldn't do. Uh, and to those people, namely Christopher fucking Nolan, I say, why don't you get a fucking grip, you little bitch? Guess what? I'm outside your house right now. Right now. Open the window. Let me in. I'm going to kill your cat and put it in your bed. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. I don't know where that's coming from. Bechdel test, of course, is a test established to find out if uh, there's two female characters in a film that have a conversation between each other without a man being there and the subject of the conversation is not about a man. That's right. Bunch and at this point... Uh, Bra-burning feminists came up with it, and it's been the bane of my existence as a screenwriter ever since. Uh, I'd just like to point out, uh, not a minute and a half ago on screen, an interesting decision to get a piece of footage of Donnie falling down into the water. It's about four seconds long. Get that footage, play it forwards, and then get to the final frame, and then play it in reverse, thus making the entire sequence eight seconds as he comes up out of the water, and then we'll just we'll just rewind, and then it goes back down in the water as if no one would ever notice. That was... Guess what? People noticed. Well, and I wish they hadn't, because that was a bet I'd made with the editor who said that people will notice, and I, and I said they wouldn't. I wagered um, everything I had at the time, which was... Um, on the back of writing the stock success of LED lighting and dry ice, $2.3 billion. Uh, that billion with people, a B. Yeah, people wouldn't notice. And um, they, <laughs> let me tell you, they certainly did. So money changed hands. It was only one week later that I was sued uh, for defrauding the production by uh, buying exclusively from companies that I had quite a large amount of stock in. Yeah, which, funnily enough, they, the prices were way inflated. I mean, you could have got vastly cheaper LEDs than dry ice had you well, shopped around a little bit, got a market rate, you know. But I was doing so well, it really didn't make a difference to me at the time. Suffice mm. it to say, that lost bet um, and the court case that followed, I was really on my haunches when this movie came out. And that's why we're here doing the 20th anniversary Bluetooth special edition audio commentary. Hi, my name is Avika Goldsman, the screenwriter for Batman and Robin. And as always, I am Joel Schumacher, well-regarded Hollywood director. Now, to create the effect of freezing an entire city, in this instance Gotham, uh, what we did is a little something called on-production special effects. Uh, just as an experiment, because we've been throwing a lot at our post, guys, we bought several thousand miles of cellophane, and uh, we got a bunch of people from around the place, just who are on the street, to, to wrap up different buildings, cars, and people. Uh, and that's why, you know, a lot of the special effects in these scenes stand out so specifically against the fantastic work in others, because... When you say stand out... Yeah. It's definitely cellophane. Like what I'm looking at is cellophane in a lot of that's these why shots. It's so, yeah, it's why they really jump out at you because it, it is just cellophane. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. 
Let me tell you something. Could you? People out there listening to this Bluetooth audio commentary of Batman and Robin, you couldn't accuse Joel and I of not being ambitious. You couldn't accuse us of not trying a lot of stuff. Too many films I see today are made by people who don't want to throw a lot of ideas at you and they don't want to execute a lot of different visual styles that don't mesh together and they don't want to introduce a lot of conflicting story elements and what may on first watch appear to be wafer-thin narrative arcs of characters. Similarly, in terms of production, a lot of people will tell you you can't experiment with the form once you're in production. You can't have walk-on castings. You can't hire a perpetual school a virtual school of 13 year olds to do your special effects you can't make up a storyline where a bunch of satellites are repurposed from being a magnification tool for you to be able to see into the sky to thaw out a city that has been frozen by a supervillain played by Arnold Schwarzenegger people will tell you you can't do things all the time you know what you need to do you need to not listen to those people this movie Batman and Robin is a huge middle finger to both the Hollywood establishment and anyone who has ever leveled any criticism criticism or sassism comes from one of those burning bra liberal hippies uh, at Akiva or myself, Joel. This is the work of a lifetime, okay? We had some dark days on set, sure, but we had a lot of fun, didn't we? We had a whole lot of fun, especially when the cocaine was flipping around there. Well, that's a real shame we burned through that as quickly as we did. And I mean, this is another example. This is this is fiddle down at the moment. We've got to show people how the satellite system works. We've got to remind everyone that Alicia Silverstone's a computer hacker, and we've got to thaw out the city in eleven minutes. Once again, throwing that number around a lot. It's very obvious. We need to splash that on screen at all times. We need to warn people about the global financial crisis that's coming up. Now, of course, that's the uh, <laughs> the big keyboard moment that we were mentioning earlier. Yeah, I was. Uh, we were directing a lot of criticism about that. What's incredible is f- for something to appear on screen for such a small amount of time and yet generate such a lot of correspondence. Well, I think we had quite a well-publicized search for that specific keyboard, and I think that the criticism was mostly leveled at the fact that if it's only going to be on screen for less than two seconds, surely you could just use any keyboard of your choosing. Why do you need this specific one? Uh, and to those people, I say... Why not? Why not invent a new layout of a keyboard where instead of being the typical QWERTY uh, keyboard layout that you're used to, we create our own, which I have called the Yukani keyboard, which only features 20 keys or 21, something in that order. Why don't we put the space bar up above the letters to slow down the rate of typing? so people can think about what they're writing as they're punching it into a computer. You, of course, were going through severe cocaine withdrawals at this point. What if we spelled out on the middle line of that new keyboard layout, TBS Movies, product integration? TBS, of course, had nothing to do with this film, but we were looking at them as a prospective partner for other ideas that we had in the works. A lot of Batman stuff. Maybe if Warner Brothers wanted to release the rights, that's right, maybe some more Batman stuff. Maybe some other stuff. Um, if nothing else, I would like to be remembered for this film as the man who found Uma Thurman. And I was trying to leverage that into contracts with various different production houses, companies, networks. Um, was she getting confused a lot with Melissa Joan Hart when you were talking? Not to at her? all. No, they're very different actors, very different people. 
That's what I thought too, up until recently. We've now got a climactic battle scene happening between our hero, the Dark Knight himself, Batman, Mr. Freeze, simultaneously trying to set out the satellite network so that it will thaw out a city that he has been able to uh, harness his cold laser gun with some giant diamonds he's stolen earlier to freeze all of Gotham. Batman's trying to thaw out the city. At the same time, face the man, Arnie himself, in hand-to-hand combat and save some scientists who we've hired off the street, apparently, to take these particular roles. Bane has taken it upon himself to fight Robin and Batgirl, and they've found his weakness, which, of course, like like any walking pimple, you just squeeze on the right bit, pop out the pus. That's exactly right, and that's uh, that's exactly Look at what my happens. Butt. Look at my butt. See I, that tattoo? Yeah, I can see the pus mostly. Pop out the pus. That's what I, that says. I'm not touching that. Pop out the pus. I thought you were physically asking me to pop out the pus from that infected wound where you claim to have a tattoo is, but you're actually telling me to read the tattoo beneath that. Yeah, it's just it's really obscured by the blood. There we go. Pop and, out the pus. I, I, I'm, is that a request for you? Are you reading the tattoo? Because again, I mean, tattoo. it is a cancerous enough. A grisly injury. Uh, at this point, we had George Clooney ask the extras who were hanging off a real scaffolding. Couldn't uh, afford to do the blue screen and special effects for that, but this is very late in the movie. Uh, you know how we work, and that is chronologically. We'd run out of budget mm, at this point, mm, mm, so we mm. just had to dangle a few extras who had never been in a movie before, uh, basically fighting for their life to just keep gripping onto that ledge. That's exactly right. They were right. in real peril, and we managed to capture that with the cameras. And that's how you basically, that's how you hijack and cheat the system. You know how to cut a corner? Sure. You, you want to get an actor who has learned how to act and you've got to pay them lots of money because that's what they're trained to do? No, no. That's exactly right. Get someone off the street and put them in the real situation you're trying to create in the movie and then just film that. Now, I've actually got a little bit of a bone to pick with Sir Peter Jackson on the back end of this uh, scene. What we did here is we created a sense of relief, uh, satisfaction for those watching the film in the cinema or at home that finally this protracted uh, piece of cinema was coming to an end. But rather than actually let them enjoy the ending uh, as satisfactory as could possibly be achieved given the myriad of balls in the air as created by the screenwriter, we instead decide to add an unnecessary extra 10 minutes to the film wherein uh, Dr. Freeze... The man himself, Michael Schumacher, played by Patrick Schwarzenegger, uh, has planted a bomb on the top role of the telescope. Of which was taken by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. So we've got Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> playing Patrick Schwarzenegger, playing famous F1 racer Michael Schumacher, playing Dr. Freeze, yeah, playing I, Mr. Freeze. Only for this scene. Um, what I'm trying to say is a lot of people thought the movie ended, a lot of people raced out of the cinema, and that's. You know, the loss is on them because they missed out this final scene, uh, which ultimately winds up with the same outcome, which is Dr. Freeze being defeated, Batman Robin and Batgirl triumphant. just can't help but bring you back to your initial point of this diatribe was that you're mad at Peter Jackson. You yeah, feel like he took that technique of a red herring at the end and he... I think if you watch back uh, the third Lord of the Rings movie, uh, whatever it's called, Return of the King... Uh, he took that idea and he didn't just run with it for a sprint. He ran a goddamn marathon. And he didn't give you any credit for that. Well, nowhere. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I suppose creative ownership, intellectual property in Hollywood is always... Uh, murky. It's, it's a, It's murky waters. It's a, 
you know, it's a constantly mobile discussion. But it's disappointing when something that you so specifically set out to do is appropriated by another filmmaker and credit isn't given. Uh, I certainly wouldn't put him on the same level as Chris fucking Nolan, who, as far as I can tell, is scum of the earth. Um, but it, it, it did upset me. I actually add a little bit to the script, which didn't make the final cinematic release. Uh, you can probably find it on the Blu-ray special edition. Once again, just remind you, this is the Bluetooth special edition that you're listening to the auditory commentary on now. Uh, there was another scene with Al McPherson uh, that we shot. Ah. Uh, that was in there you went there that day on no shooting. I wasn't uh, I think my right knee was killing me so I, I went and played a bit of tennis with the at the time French Open champion Andre Agassi who you I get on? absolutely pasted did you 6 love 6 love 6 1 as you were sorry you had another scene with Al McPherson I understand no I was just mentioning that we, we did manage to get her in uh, right at the end just to kind of run with the ball of uh, discussing false endings there was a bit what you see in the cinema and on most of the DVD releases is the movie ending at a particular point. Just try to imagine that there is another scene which is five minutes long That's featuring right. Al McPherson because that is the way that the screenwriter myself and intended it. I don't remember shooting it, but I do understand that some of that footage is available as a bonus feature on the Blu-ray. Um, much like, as I was saying earlier, there is that bonus footage of the Robin and Alfred scene. And if you do find that, which I recommend you don't put on a poncho because things get pretty messy pretty quickly. So our heroes have done it. Uh, and you are my hero, Akiva, because you did work in the line. It's a beautiful day. You told me it couldn't be done. You said, I'll bet you that you can't write a line that doesn't seem to fit in the film and have it become a number one U2 hit years from now. And I said, challenge accepted, buddy. So what I did is I gingerly peppered with ginger, that's a metaphor, little lines that I thought Bono might eventually adopt in the not-too-distant future to be smash hit singles by the band U2. People can remember as far back as the first scene with Alicia Silverstone, the third line she says, after mentioning her parents were killed in a car crash five years ago, is a mole digging in a hole, digging up my soul, excavation. Um, And... It really blended in pretty pretty well. Seamlessly. You can say it. Yeah, I will I will say seamlessly. Thank As you, you were noticing. pouring over that line, I of course was um nursing a couple of sore knees and a couple of sore toes. Now I've got to say this scene that we're watching while right on now, the tennis court with uh all time Grand Slam record holder and women's tennis, Steffi Graf. Uh we were playing on her preferred surface of grass and I absolutely eviscerated her. This six love six one if you're asking not the original scene i had intended for this batman was supposed to eviscerate his enemy for the film dr freeze and a it was actually a bit of test weaponry that alfred had come up with called the semen gun but i'm not going to get into the um, <laughs> mechanics of how it worked but instead due to some notes from the execs when they got the first draft of the script they said batman doesn't kill people uh, that's not part of the franchise. So I had to sort of rewrite this. To me, it's always stuck out as being a little troubling. He spares the life of Mr. Freeze, a man who moments ago was trying to kill everyone in Gotham and the world. But his heart was in the right place. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean, physically. It was within his ribcage. It was within his ribcage, betwixt his lungs. 
another steely romantic gaze between Donnie and Alicia Silverstone. A love um, relationship, a little love question mark that I did not put in the script. Yeah. That is something that they invented on set and I was not happy about it when I watched the cinematic release of this film and I said, there are a lot of love triangles in this movie. Mm. And Batgirl and Robin are not one of them. We got Alfred, we got Batman. We got Alfred, we got Batgirl. We've got Poison Ivy and everyone. That's it. Also, if you do check out those special features, we do have Alfred and Robin. But again, fair warning, put on something waterproof. And if you've got a peg, may I recommend putting that over your nose because it is grisly. We also had a love triangle uh, on set but off the camera uh, in the form of Beatrice and myself. I call it a love triangle because Beatrice... Because Martha Stewart, of course was the third tier of that particular well, geometric Well, eventually shape of we did form a new love triangle. What the connection Beatrice and I shared was probably more of a, a love line, if you will. I uh, won't. It was, it was one, it was from point A to point B. Two people, physically, emotionally, mentally, madly in love with each other. And Beatrice, if, if you're listening, um, I'm sorry for the way I behaved. Uh, I'd love, I'd love for you to leave, Chris, and and come back to me. Um, Chris, fucking Nolan, if you're listening, oh, man, fuck you, you cuckolding piece of shit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from. We're back at the Wayne Manor now and a set piece that I've written in to just keep people in the cinema at this stage. More of a psychological experiment than anything else. There's really no need for us all to be here. But guess what, everyone? We've repaired Alfred with the cure that Dr. Freeze came up with with his little vials of glowing blue it's goo. a neat bit of storytelling. I didn't see that coming. He's feeling better than ever. What you want to do is... In... A good tale well told, you want to have some genuine stakes. For example, if you have an old manservant who is clearly past his prime, you want to dangle the threat of killing him off. But then to undo all the good, hard storytelling work you've done, you want to yank that carrot away and cure him at the last moment. Like nothing's ever happened. You're back in the exact same position you were at the start of the film. We both were the only two who had access to the script throughout filming, uh, and you yeah, actually I held mean, on. Again, you, I did write the thing. Yeah, so but you a, you kept this under your hat from even me. Uh, so directing this scene was a real challenge because none of the actors nor myself had had seen what you'd written down, mm-hmm. and you, and you wouldn't let any of us. You just said we'll keep doing it until they get it right, um, which is I, I can speak as a professional film director. Very vague direction. To have a very clear idea for what you want from a scene and not volunteer any of that information and just sort of essentially hold a crew and a cast who are all sick and tired of each other hostage until the actors get it exactly right as you imagine in your head and wrote down on the page. It's a challenging method and one that I took to the next feature I directed, uh, which did pretty poorly. You want to mention what that movie was or you'd rather not say it's... On this particular Bluetooth Let's audio. just say it uh, starts with the word pirates and ends of the Caribbean. 
Well, that's the movie, folks. Batman and Robin. Um, thank you for joining us for this Bluetooth special edition audio commentary. Uh, I have been Akiva Goldsman, screenwriter for this wonderful film. Uh, and I've been Joel Schumacher. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did reminiscing. Uh, certainly, uh, stroll down memory lane, fraught with tension. Uh, Akiva, with all due respect, would you like to get a beer? Let's do it. Goodbye, everybody.